Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. We've been in this series that has been trying to find Jesus all throughout the book of Revelation. Some of you maybe have been really exposed to Revelation all your life. Others of you, it's like, bro, I don't know a lot about it, but I'm definitely confused, but I'm getting a little clarity. It's been a good series. Tonight, we enter into a section in the book of Revelation that for many can be scary, actually. It's scary because it's now that we see almost a visual depiction of what happens with a choice. Choices are really interesting. We can make choices because we are autonomous beings. God has given us that ability. We are not in a denominational grouping in which we believe that we are fixed creatures in whom God has chosen some for salvation and others for damnation. We're not Calvinists. We fall in the line of Arminianism, which is a line where we believe in the free will that God has given all humans to choose for Him or to not. Sometimes when we think of people saying, God, I'm not going to choose you. I'm going to choose to be on Satan's side. Like, wow, people would actually say something like that? Like, would somebody actually? I don't know how many of you ever did literature evangelism. Anyone ever do literature evangelism, go door-to-door knocking? Anyone ever do sales at least? Okay, you know how hard it is to convince people of stuff, right? They don't even want to buy what you're selling them. Just go home, like save it. No, no, no. God has something good in store every time you knock on those doors. I remember, though, knocking on a door in Boulder, Colorado. I knock on the door, and this guy with black makeup and his hair kind of in a funny look, and I'm like, hi, sir, how you doing? My name is Philip. I'd like to share with you a scholarship opportunity. That you, you know the spiel, right? He's coming. Some of you are like, I know where he's going. And all of a sudden, the guy says, you know what, kid? I don't want to have anything to do with your Christian books. I'm a Wiccan. And on the side, I also worship Satan. Okay, well, this will be a great conversation. I'm thinking in my head. And we did. We had a good conversation. Man, I was working every angle I could get into there, you know. Brother, there's a cookbook you could get, though. Have you, do you have any kids? There's this children's, I was thinking, man, if the kids start reading about Jesus and the Lord, wow, it might get hit. You know, I'm thinking everything I could do. But usually when we think, wow, someone choosing to be against Jesus, they must be on that angle. Or or might it be actually a little bit more subtle? Might it actually be when someone doesn't choose for Christ, it's when they also make a choice to be silent? Hmm. Might it also be sometimes that we just think that this is the best for us and so we'll choose a path that, well, this is just what works for me, my truth kind of generation. We live in a time of cultural relativism. My truth is my truth, as Sarah kind of brought up last week. And so we live in a time that is really confusing. It's hard to know what to do. It's hard to understand. But I want to tell you something. 
unless there is a clear position that you and I take in which we choose to make a decision for Christ, there are consequences. I hate consequences. I, I mean, I, I hate them. I remember as a kid not liking the reality that when I pushed my buddy and I swung him around in the classroom, threw him against the wall, and he threw the desk on me, and we got into a fist fight after that. I mean, I wasn't the nicest kid. The consequences were I would be suspended. Three days, man, I hated that. It was embarrassing to go back to school. Like, that was a kid that got suspended. He was the kid that was mean, and wow, it was horrible. But there were consequences to my actions. Some of you in relationships, you know what it's like. Hey, they say 6 o'clock, we're going to meet for dinner. You show up at 8.30, what's the consequence? Could be a lot of consequences. Could be, oh, this is over, we're done. Or it could be like, I can't believe you again. Why do you keep prioritizing your girlfriends and not me? Like what? You know, you might have an argument. Varied. But there are consequences to your decisions. Tonight we enter into a part of Scripture in which we see the consequences of decisions for people who have said no by choice or no by silence to Jesus. And so bust out your Bibles with me. We're going to actually capture the whole picture of Revelation chapter 15 and 16 so that you can clearly see the space that these people sadly find themselves in. While you're turning your Bibles there, I want to just share with you, though, a clear picture of understanding Revelation right from the beginning. God doesn't show us the future in the book of Revelation, which is what it points to for most of the time, so that we might get obsessed with figuring out the future. He gives us a picture of the future so that we might make thoughtful decisions today about our life, about how we are to act with other people around us. The book of Revelation isn't actually a book in which we think about what is to come so much so as it is to say, God, how can I order my life that today I might choose to walk in faithfulness before you? And so we enter into Revelation chapter 15. This begins like this. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like the sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of the servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring you glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed." The story here emerges that there is a group who has decided for Christ. On them has been sealed the seal of God. This group, we have to see, is one in which God was waiting for. 
yearning, protecting actually this group of people. How do I know He was protecting us? Those who have chosen to say, Christ, I'm with you. Because Revelation chapter 7, if you have your Bible, you can just kind of see the first few verses of what God's doing actually right now on your and my behalf. Seven, chapter, chapter 7 verse 1, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. In essence, to stop calamity from happening. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. He said, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put the seal in their foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000. Now we can go into a whole different Bible study now after this. Now you're like, wow, I'm confused. Some of you may be confused, others of you tracking with me. The simple fact is that God is holding back calamity at an earth-shattering level right now on behalf of all of us in humanity. Now, a lot of times when we read the book of Revelation and in this space, we have to see that it mirrors another experience of the past. There's a beautiful quote by Ellen White in uh, Life Manuscript. She writes, There is nothing to fear about the future, but that we would forget what? How God has led us in our past. When you look deep back into the past of Earth's history, there was another time in which the last days actually mirror, and that's the time of the Exodus, when God's people were being taken out of exile and being led to the promised land. We find ourselves in that same place today, being living literally in what is our exile here as human beings on earth, because our citizenship is where? Donde? Cielo. That's right. You get the Spanish going, you wake up, man. All right, all right, all right. Our citizenship, your passport doesn't say earth marking on it. Your, your passport, when you choose to follow Christ, it says heaven bound. I am a foreigner in this land. I'm one who carries a green card in earth because I don't have the citizenship. I just have the rights to kind of walk around. I don't know how many of you are foreigners and you've had that experience of having a visa and a green card. And you look at it like, green card, bro, it calls me an alien? Come on. Couldn't you call me a human being? You call me an alien. All right, I see. I see how it is. And that is our station in this life right now. We are not citizens of this place. And therefore, when we choose for Christ, we live for a different kingdom. When you and I assume that this world is the kingdom of our God, we're making an assumption that society is going to bend us towards living righteously. The strange reality is that some of us actually live like that, not by choice, but by permissive kind of will. We assume that our culture is, is, is going to lead you to good things. The way Hollywood works and the musicians and the way my friends will kind of lead me, they're going to always lead me towards a good path. That would be naive thinking. 
Because the truth is that most people, when they don't choose for Christ, they are choosing for a different path and someone else rules their life, their passions and lusts. 1 John chapter 1, it is not Christ who tempts you, but it is your own desires that have led you astray and that even being of Satan. So there's someone else ruling the world that we live on here. While Christ reigns in our hearts, there's also a different kingdom that's set up here. And so these people have chosen to realize that they're choosing for Christ. And at this present moment, now we have an understanding that Jesus is holding back a lot of bad stuff that could be happening in your life. Some of you are asking the question, but pastor, man, there's a lot of stuff that has been already happening in my life. A friend of mine, sadly, in this moment, literally in the hospital, just got married, just got pregnant, and just found out she has metastatic cancer stage four. Loses the baby, begins chemo, rough. Just graduated from residency, Josh. And you're like, God, you're not holding back the ways of this life. No, he doesn't hold back the consequences of the sin that entered into the world from Genesis 1. Because that's the pain that we unfortunately have to all live with, whether we choose for Christ or don't. But he holds back a greater calamity than even the pain that's inflicted in such awful ways by sin. And not, I'm not blaming this person by any means. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not blaming God either. But there is even a greater pain that God holds back from occurring. And so it's these people who recognize they've chosen to be sealed under Christ. They're walking in faithfulness. They've made decisions for Him. And there's a whole other Bible study that we could have about the Sabbath in this. But now we enter into understanding something that happens in this group they kind of now move the stage and another group steps on the stage. Another group emerges. Verse chapter, chapter 15, verse 5. But after this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the covenant law that is opened. And out of the temple came seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and were wearing golden sashes. Living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. There was so much pain, so much destruction to come. No one could even be around this. And then it begins. Then I heard a loud voice, chapter 16, from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out the bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out onto the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Oof, that sounds terrible. You've had boils and maybe from a sunburn before? Feels bad. Ouch. My daughter got bit by fire ants the other week. Boils 
popped up on her foot. Oh, it was hard to watch her cry. Oh, it was painful. But now we see it isn't just fire ants that are doing it. Now we have this attachment that God himself is pouring out pain. Mm. Now we're being challenged with our idea of theodicy. But what do you have to understand in these last day picture of what's happening? God's people have been sealed. That means that the close of probation, this idea that, that there's any more decisions to be made on left or right, no, that's over. God's people are going to be saved from this point forward. But now there is this ultimate reality that has to take place, and that is some people are going to die. Some people are going to experience the pain of their decisions. There are some communities that believe that everyone will be saved. The idea that there is not a single person that won't be saved. The problem with that is that the scriptures recount a real story that there is a consequence to every action. Jesus did pay for every sin, but now there's this understanding that God is pouring out the point of what they decided for. The second angel, verse 3 poured out his bowl onto the sea and it turned it to blood like that of a dead person. Every living thing in the sea died. Is this starting to kind of remind you a little bit of what happened in Egypt? The plagues beginning? The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, you are just in your judgments, O Holy One. God is just in doing such a thing? Last week we talked about, and the week before, we talked about that God is just in His mercy and that His judgments are good. Good because He doesn't force anyone. I started off by saying that we are part of a community that believes in freedom of choice. Everyone is given the opportunity to choose. God doesn't force anybody. But something that we never seem to want to talk about is the fact that with that freedom of choice also are consequences when we don't choose for the Lord. And so the, the plagues continue. For you are just and holy, and you are the one who are and who were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets and have given them blood to drink now as they deserve. Now we begin to catch a reality of why God is pouring out the judgments. These are people who inflicted pain on the righteous. People who could have done well but instead chose to do harm. And then I heard from the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl and the sun and the sea was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared with an intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. Now catch this. But they refused to repent. This is kind of where I want to spend a little bit of our time here now. This idea that here they're experiencing a horrendous thing. And instead of looking to the beast that they sided with and saying, I thought you were going to protect us. That's why we sided with you. Instead, they look to God, they blame Him, and they curse Him. 
And then not only that, then the text says they refuse to repent. Is it starting to look a little bit more familiar to the story in Egypt? Here another plague emerges. Moses comes with Aaron before Pharaoh. Please let my people go. I will not. And we hear that God hardened his heart. We think that God is imposing upon him, but it is rather that his own intentions are so evil. The way God created him could not change the hardness of this guy's heart. Likewise, here now, even in the last days of history, when plagues are emerging, people still saying, there is no way I would ever repent. Are you kidding me? Hmm. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast itself and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony, cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they again refused to repent of what they had done. Now even their kingdom that they side with is in such darkness now that they can't even have any protection. Now even this God that they thought they were worshiping can't protect them. And they still choose to refuse to repent. I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. The act of repentance is a really tough thing. It's a tough thing in marriage especially. If anyone here is married or you're dating, you're in that space, or you've got just family or roommate, someone that you're kind of close with in your life, and you kind of mess up in a royal way, like you really messed up. And all of a sudden, you've got to come face to face with what you did, and you see the pain on the person's face that you hurt. You might even see some tears, or you might see anger. Both are fine. Different way of people responding to being hurt. And then you got to say sorry. That can be a tough one. I remember one time I really messed up with Elena. Oh, man. I really messed up. And early in our marriage, if any of you know the Gottman theories of love, you know this idea that there are four ways, kind of the four apocalyptic horsemen as he calls them. And one of them is defensiveness. Ooh, I was the king of defensiveness. Man, Elena, I got to tell you, the reason why I did that, there was this situation. I had to help this person, and I had to do this, and then this happened. And as a result of that, and she's still yelling at me, and I'm still yelling at her the reasons why. Did we solve anything? No. Because I'd rather defend myself than apologize for my actions. But you see, the thing is, each one of us has to put on our big pants, our adult pants. We're not kids anymore. And that's a hard thing for some of us to realize sometimes in life. There's no one that's going to always bail you out anymore. You're not at your parents' house all the time. We are adulting. We're young adults. 
And there are adult consequences to our decisions. You choose to keep coming home late, wandering places, bro, you're not going to be married that long. You keep forgetting anniversaries, you ain't going to get a happy time. It's just going to be a frustrating marriage. It's, it's going to be hard. So there are consequences to decisions. And God here points out the fact that now, not only are there consequences, but when there are consequences, there's a time to repent. But for this group, it's even too late for them. Not only did they refuse to repent, but their repentance at this point would equal nothing. And so then we have to ask ourselves, God, why would you give a vision to the prophet here, John, to write this in this book? This is so hard to read. It's hard to understand and it's hard to hear. Oh, it's dark. It's, it's frustrating. God, why is this here? You're a God of love. You're a God of mercy. You're a God of goodness. That's what I hear being preached everywhere. Now all of a sudden I'm reading this tough text. This pastor up here, I'm getting annoyed listening to him about this. I had a hard week and now I feel like I'm having a harder one. But the reason why you and I are experiencing a frustration in our own spirit as we hear this is because there's a deep-seated truth that's now emerging in our eyes. For them, deep into that future, probation has closed. The decision time is done. This is literally the final thing. The text began. It said, when this is complete, God's wrath is done and His glory will be revealed. And He comes. The reason why this is here is so that you and I, as I started off, the very first thing I told you, while revelation is so much about the future, it is also to help us understand that it affects our present decisions. And so every single one of us has to understand this is the time of repentance. This is the season in your and my life when this is what we have to choose, a path of repentance. A path of repentance and confession before God who is holy and just and merciful and good. But he also says that when we choose to sin, it has consequence. So then what are we left with now? We could kind of go pack up and leave depressed here. We definitely could. Spike our mental health epidemic even higher. But what I actually want to leave you with is this understanding. That here in the book of Revelation, there is a beautiful image that it says that God will come here in the next verse, 15. Look, I will come as a thief. But blessed is the one who stays awake, remains close, so that they will not be exposed. The one who stays with me, stays ready, ever ready. That's the space I want each one of us to be in right now. A space of being just ever ready. Jesus, if you come now, you come 20 years from now, or you come for the generations of my children, God, myself, my children, and my children's children will have chosen to walk with you and repented that we might all be saved. 
You see, I, I've stopped actually thinking just about my own life anymore and decisions that just affect my life right here, right now. I've started to think about my kids' lives and then my kids' kids' lives. God, I want there to be as, if you went to the Steve Green concert a few weeks ago, might we be beyond faithful in the generations to come? That when they look at your life, they would say, man, my dad, my mom, my aunt, my uncle, man, they were faithful in that time period before. You've got to be thinking longer term in your life. And so tonight, I actually want us to make kind of a process of just making a decision to say, God, I know that choosing to walk for you in this life will bear consequences on me as well. Because the thing is, there are consequences when you choose for Christ and consequences when you don't. Not everyone in this life, as we just said at the beginning, will want to walk in faithfulness. And so when you choose to say, God, I'm choosing for you, it will affect people around you. Have you ever been in a certain space in time, a certain relationship with someone they just wanted to keep kind of pestering you? Bro, I'm trying to choose a faithful path here. Why do you keep? Or they literally persecute you with their words, make fun of you in different ways, push your boundaries all the time. Bro, I'm trying. It can be as simple and innocent as you know, someone bring an ice cream home and you told them that you wanted to go on a diet. Or it can be as serious as someone who you've told your boundaries in a certain situation, in school and ethically. I'm not going to be cheating, brother. Stop trying to show me the... I'm not going to be taking our taxes and trying to cut numbers. I'm not going to... There's all kinds of things that we do as human beings to cut corners and we've got to choose a path, though, that says, God, though I choose a path of faithfulness, even if it hurts me, I'm going to walk down that path. Now, there's a point to where you and I choose for Christ, and, and man, we're part of the kingdom. And then there's that part where after that, you walk the journey of sanctification. That's this path of, man, you fall, but you get back up, and you know the right way to go. And I'm not talking about you losing your salvation at this point. I'm talking about just you becoming the best version of yourself with the Lord. There in that journey that Moses took the children of Israel with, he had a consequence. He lost his cool. God told him to speak to the people a word of rebuke, and he got pissed. I mean, he was frustrated slammed his rod on the rock, cracked the stone, and water gushed forth. And so instead of giving glory to God, the people looked at Moses like a magician. Ah, it was you who did it. You brought forth the miracle of water. Ah, it was your staff that is powerful. Instead of being able to look at the people and say, gosh, you guys, are you so weak with faith? Lord, do what you promised you would. Bring forth the water. And that God would bring it out. His consequence was, man, you're not going to see the promised land. And another young man came among him. Joshua. And Joshua, trying to lead the people, also encounters a situation in which, man, this is a tough situation. This is one of those salvation spaces where God's people had to make a decision. 
And every single one of you tonight, I hope, will make a faithful decision for the Lord. Here in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, a powerful text comes to us. Here God speaks a word through the prophet Joshua in essence, and he tells him this to the people. But if the serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors that you serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve We will serve who? The Lord. Friends, I want you to walk in that kind of assurance today that you're making a thoughtful decision. Because some of us kind of walk into faith. A lot of you maybe have grown up in a faithful Christian home. Your parents love Jesus. They took you to church. But you, you might have even made some big commitments throughout your life. But all the way throughout your life, you have to keep affirming that faithful decision for Jesus. And tonight, I'm praying that you do that in your heart. It's time we let go of the gods of this age. I love how J.K. Smith, the philosopher and theologian, talks about this in his book, You Are What You Love. He says, many of us fall down at the temples of this age, whether it's consumerism or nationalism, we all have a God that we follow. But it's time for each one of us to realize that if we are living before the soon coming of Christ, we've got to also say, God, I'm done with the gods of this age. I'm ready to align myself fully with the kingdom. And so tonight I want to give you a faithful, thoughtful moment before God. And just to say, Jesus, I'm choosing. I'm choosing, whether it's kind of a mental decision in your heart or you take out a pen and you write it down, God, I'm choosing for you. And by choosing for you, that also means I'm not choosing for this anymore. I'm not choosing for the things that I was held back by. I'm choosing the path of repentance before you come. I'm not waiting for the last days. Sometimes as young adults, we kind of feel like, man, I got a lot of time, bro. I got a lot of time to get married. I got a lot of time to finish my education. I got a lot of time to make money. I got a lot of time. I got a lot, 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 lot. Bro, there's going to be a day where God says, no, the time is done. The time is done. And so in your hearts right now, I want to encourage you. I know this was kind of a heavier moment that we had here tonight. But I want to encourage you to remember what it says there in 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and just that if we would but confess our sins before Him, He's faithful to forgive us and lead us out of unrighteousness. He wants to give you a path that leads towards a better and brighter future, one in which you are the best version of yourself. For some of you, I might be talking about a salvation decision you're going to make tonight. For others of you, it might just be a sanctification decision. Hey, man, I chose for Jesus a long time ago, and I love the Lord with all my heart. 
there are some things in my life that I definitely am not proud of and I don't want to be part of my life anymore. And so tonight there might be a call of repentance unto salvation. And for others of you, there might be a call of repentance unto greater faithfulness with the Lord. That you live a better and brighter life for the people around you or maybe just for yourself. And so right now as the band comes up, I just want to encourage you to just take a moment with Jesus right now. I'm going to read you a story when you finish praying. But I want to share with you just about consequences and blessing. So take a moment just to kind of close your eyes and just take a moment to pray right now. God, you see your people here tonight. And Jesus, you know their desire to walk with you. God, for some of us, we've been battling things for a long time. Struggling with certain things we definitely frustrate about. And God, we need the gift of repentance from you tonight. We need to know that we're still loved. We need to know that we're still in your arms. And so, Father, tonight, thank you for reminding us that we are in the season of repentance, that there is yet still time for us, that if we draw near to you, you draw near back to us with forgiveness and mercy. There's no condemnation for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, thank you that when you come to our side our aid in our season of sin you come with compassion and mercy and not a condemning hand you want us to live the best life that we can before you and before those that we love so father thank you for the gift of repentance and so god we confess our sin before you thank you jesus some of us tonight We've come before you so many times about things. And Lord, I'm praying that power would go forth in their life, that there would be a breaking of sin in our lives, that we would not become such intimate friends with it, but rather that we would become enemies, that we would not grow comfortable in our spaces, but that rather we would be discontent, that we would yearn to be more like you each and every day that we would too be more compassionate then and loving with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to leave you with one story because there's also a consequence to good decisions. There's a consequence when you choose to walk for Christ and do what is right, you actually become a blessing to the earth. I don't know how many of you have ever heard the story of Corey Ten Boom amazing Dutch resistance movement woman. She was a watchmaker by trade. Her family there living in a region in Europe made a decision to say, we will not stand by this killing atrocity. We must protect God's people. A family of faith, they said, though we may get hurt, we will choose what is right. I love this quote that she says. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid 
Though the future seems unknown, God, if I choose this, what's going to happen, Lord? No one will be there for me. I'll never get married. God, I'll never, this will never, I can't even. No, no, no. Though the future is unknown, there is a God who is known and He is merciful. He's shown how He shows up in the past. He'll show up like that in your present reality today. And so her story goes like this. Sadly, on, the, uh, on February 28, 1944, a Dutch informant, Jean Vogel, told the Nazis about the Ten Booms work at around 12.30 that day. The Nazis arrested the entire Ten Boom family. They were sent to a prison when the resistance materials and extra ration cards were found in their home. The group of six people that the Ten Booms were hiding at that moment were, <clears throat> were still hidden and they remained undiscovered. Though the house was under constant surveillance after the Ten Booms escape, the Ten Booms received a letter one day in prison. All the watches in your cabinet are safe. Meaning that the refugees had managed to escape and were safe. Four days later after the raid, resistance workers transferred them to another location. Although the Gestapo had arrested over 30 people that day, who were in that home. Though the Gestapo released most of those 30 that had been captured. Unfortunately, Corey, Betsy, his sis, her sister, and the father, Casper, were held in prison. Casper died 10 days later. Corey was initially held in solitary confinement. After three months, she was taken to her first hearing. At that trial, Corey Ten Boom talked of her love for those with mental disabilities, those who the Nazis wanted to suffocate. One of the lieutenants scoffed at her because he had been killing those with mental disabilities for years by their eugenics policies. Corey Ten Boom defended her work, saying that if the eyes of God, they are loved, though they may be mentally disabled, they might be more valuable than a watchmaker and even a lieutenant. Corey and Betsy were sent from that camp to another one, to a political concentration camp, and finally, the place they ended up, Ravensbrück, a concentration camp and labor spot for women there in Germany. And there, listen to this, their decision of faithfulness that had consequences on them and their family led to the following. There they held worship services after the hard days of work by using the Bible that they had managed to smuggle in. Though the two, through the two sisters' teachings and examples and unfailing charity, many of the prisoners were converted. While they were imprisoned at Ravensbrook, Betsy and her sister began to discuss plans for funding a place afterwards that would be for healing after the war. Betsy's health unfortunately deteriorated and she died on the 16th of December, 1944, at the age of 59. Before she died, she told Corey, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still going to go into with us. Twelve days later, Corey was released. Afterward, she was told that her release was because of a clerical error. And one week later, all the women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers. 
She later wrote the best-selling book entitled The Hiding Place that many of you maybe know, in which she recounted the story of her family and their faithful work in the resistance. She then continued throughout her entire life till the age of 91 going to speak about God's people doing great things and suffering the consequences for a faithful work. Friends, I want you tonight to make that decision of faithfulness, to side with the Lord, but also to recognize now after you choose to side with Jesus, your faithful decisions don't stop. We're all called to be a blessing into this world. And tonight my prayer is that you've decided for Christ and that you keep deciding for Him in ways that impact the world around you. Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.